I want to invite you to pray this morning as we step from uh, our songs of worship. I, I want to invite you to pray, and we're going to pray for this situation in Ukraine. I don't know about you, but you know, we keep, of course, we want to keep up with these events, and it feels so distant over there, but um, massive ramifications, of course, for all of us. Um, I don't know where your mind goes, but I'm glad we're in the book of Ruth because I'm continually bringing my mind back to the providence of God to be reminded who, who, who lifts up kings and bring, who, who rules the nations. Let me tell you who rules the nations, our God and king that we sing of. And so that's what we want to remind ourselves of. Now, in God's providence, um, over the last 15 years, y'all, we have developed and we have global partners we have uh, six that are either in Russia or around in surrounding parts of uh, Eastern Europe. And so we're talking to them. How are you doing? What do you need? And you know, one of the things you, need, this, you read about this, but as refugees are fleeing, they're going into cities where some of our partners are there or nearby. And so the first thing they said, which you wouldn't surprise you, is said, pray for us. And, and we do. And I'm going to ask you to individually pray in a moment. And, and you say, well, Lord, what do I pray? I would say, what, what, what would you hope people were praying for you? Were you in a subway somewhere with your family and bombs are dropping or you know, your country's being invaded? Just, you can trust the spirit to lead you to pray. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna close us in, in, in that prayer corporately. But then they also said, um, there are needs. And so I want you to know we can give and, and where those funds will be used is to provide resources for refugees that are finding themselves displaced and the resources that those who are helping them in that, you know what I'm saying? That's where that will go. Now, rather than try and go into all of that detail, we're gonna send you an email. So you'll get an email this week with very specific places that funds are needed and how they'll be used. And if you feel so led, uh, you have the opportunity to give. And, and I love it that we're able to, to give, not just to those global partners, but like we have four missionaries that are in the area as well that are full-time missionaries that we get to partner with. So. With that, would you bow your heads and, and let me invite you, go before the throne of grace and would you pray for um, Ukra Ukrainians, for brothers and sisters in Christ, those who don't know Christ, for, for the people who are um, struggling, suffering in that context. Take a moment and pray and then I will pray for us corporately. Father, we come before your throne of grace on behalf of all people uh, involved in this conflict in Ukraine, for brothers and sisters in Christ who are making great sacrifices, churches who have hunkered down to provide help and resources to those in great need. Lord, we pray the church would be a beacon of light truly a place of physical protection and most importantly, a, a place of spiritual rest and hope in the gospel. Guide us in our response that, that many, many miles away that in our giving that, that we would help, we would steward resources that really help people 
with the basic needs that they have. For our partners, Lord, strengthen them with the weight that they would carry, um, unexpected and unplanned, but not, not in your eyes. And so may they find great hope and may they share that hope with those who don't know you. And from this horrible situation, would your kingdom ethics and values shine? Jesus, be lifted up. Draw men, women, and children to yourself. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all. And I want to encourage you to continue to make that a matter of prayer. I want to encourage you as well to get a Ruth booklet. This is our third week, so I won't be talking about this further on. I think you already know this, but if you haven't gotten one, you can slip out right now and get one. Um, I've got the black one, but there's purple ones as well. We do this when we're studying through books of the Bible that, you know, we try to put something in your hand that you can make, take notes in. You know, I've got, I lost mine this morning. I almost went crazy because I thought, oh my gosh, I've written so much in that. Put your name on it. Um, and, and just use it through our study. It's not a substitute for the Bible. Now, that's, this is where I want to encourage you to say, look, have your Ruth booklet as a resource, but then bring your Bible as well. Anytime we're studying through a book of the Bible, we're not just going to be in that one book, but we'll be moving throughout the scripture um, as, as we go through that. If you're not there already, we pick up our study today in Ruth chapter one, and we're in verses six to 14. Ruth chapter one, verses six to 14. When our son Darden was 19 years old, he was knocked unconscious. Uh, it was it four, I don't know, maybe four to six people. Uh, when, he, when he came to, he had been cut pretty severely, uh, bones broken on his right side. Um, when he came, became conscious, he couldn't walk, and he couldn't walk for many weeks. And when he finally did walk, he had to walk with a walker. Those are the facts of what happened to him. I, I want to switch gears, and I want to tell you the truth about what happened to him. Um, Twelve hours before they knocked him unconscious, he had been thrown from his motorcycle. Some of you know this story. Um, into oncoming traffic, he, did, he broke every bone in his right leg, a rib, a wrist, dislocated his shoulder, no head injuries. And so uh, a team of four to six professionals knocked him unconscious to put rods in his leg, to fix him up, to sew him up. And I share that story just to say, I told you the facts, and, and then I told you the, the truth, because facts just on their own, without any context, you know, can be misread. And, and some of you knew, but when I started talking, you knew what I was talking about, because I've told you that story, but some of you could have thought, I can't believe his son got mugged. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. He got jumped by four or six people. No, you have to have the context around that. I've got to, I've got to you know, there's the, there's the why he was knocked unconscious, you know, et cetera. Bringing the truth to bear on the facts, then you have the whole picture. Um, this is not a bad picture, by the way, you all, of um, the life of faith, um, that, that the life of faith is us living our lives and things happen, facts. But we're always seeking to bring what's true about that, not just the surface facts. We want to know the why to the what. We've spent the last two weeks in the first five verses of the book of Ruth, and it has revealed some 
devastating facts. There's a famine in the promised land, the house of bread. Bethlehem has no bread. A man takes his wife and his two sons and they travel to Moab, a country under God's judgment. But they go there because they gotta have food to eat. And while they're there, the husband Elimelech dies. His wife Naomi is left with her two sons. The two sons marry Moabite women. That was not a good thing. They marry Moabite women. And over the span of 10 years, at the end of those 10 years, the two sons die. Now think about this. Those young men, they tried to have babies with their Moabite wives during that time. So there's something going on. These women, are they infertile? We, we, we don't know. But when you get to the end of verse five in Ruth chapter one, it is so dark. And in the, for a original audience, when they're hearing this story, it's the darkest of dark. You've got three widows, one of them in a foreign land, and there are no sons. In a way, maybe we can't fully grasp, this is a very hopeless situation. That's the, that's the facts that we have been looking at over the last two weeks. Now, what's the truth? That's the question that we're gonna be answering from verse six till we get to the end of Ruth in chapter four in the last verse, we're literally gonna be answering, what's the truth here? Because <laughs> the facts are, are, are brutal. And like a good writer, what the, the writer of Ruth has done, and don't forget this, it's a story inspired by God that really happened, but it's a story. And the story he has, he or the writer has set up this story with like an unsolvable problem. How is anything good gonna come out of this situation? You and I are gonna, you and I are gonna explore not just what are the facts, but what's the truth of this situation? When I was thinking about that, I, I thought of that movie and you know, I'm, I'm older, so this is an older movie, but I thought of that movie, A Few Good Men. Some of you may remember this old movie, Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise, some of you nodding, you're right, you know, and, and Tom Cruise, it's the Marine thing, the lawyer, and Tom Cruise says, I want the truth. You know, he's looking at Jack Nicholson and then Jack Nicholson, you know, little Jack Nicholson face. You remember what he says? What does he say? You can't handle the truth. And I, I giggled at that a little bit because I go, okay, we're going into some truths in Ruth that are gonna be really hard to handle. It's, it's, I'm, I'm giving a warning. I'm going, some of us, some, I won't say some of us, I'll say some people can't handle what I believe are the truths of Ruth. But I'm, Rob and I are gonna invite us to, to handle them, so to speak. Because if we don't, I, I wanna suggest we miss out on the bedrock of hope. Like, like there's no, if, we, if we can't handle these truths that we're gonna be diving into now in Ruth, I do think we give up biblical hope. The fundamental truth running through the book of Ruth, we've said this, is the, is the doctrine of God's providence. I shortened it to say, or shortened the definition to say it's at the shortest level, God's in control, okay? 
We're using the Westminster Shorter Catechism, or I used it two weeks ago to, to help all of us go, okay, what's a broader definition of God's sovereignty or God's providence? And so question 11 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what are God's works of providence? I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna ask the question. I'm gonna ask you to read it again. This will be the second time you've read it. So you'll read the answer. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. Now, I said two weeks ago, it's the word all that hits us. And if you really think about it, you know, there's, there's, there's parts of you that go, I don't even wanna go there. I don't even wanna think about it. All? It's a very difficult pill to swallow. And I think part of the reason we have the book of Ruth is that in this story form, God helps us to swallow the pill of his providence. God's providence tells us that there is a hope that cannot be thwarted and it's rooted in his providence. I'm gonna pick up the story where Rob left off. So we're gonna do six through 14. It's a story, and so it unfolds in scenes. And so I'm gonna give you two scenes, okay? This is just bookmarks for you. The first scene is the fields of Moab. And y'all, you know, when you write in your booklet, always underline every time it says, there's so much that happens in the fields. It's fascinating. There's the fields of Moab. That's a scene, and we're gonna look at it. And then it transitions, and it's like the camera cuts, edit, boom. And the next scene is the road to Bethlehem. It's, a, it's another scene that unfolds. And everything, even about the geography, has a, has a richness to it. Now, I'm gonna start off with the fields of Moab. It's verses six and seven. Look in your booklet or your Bible. God's word to us today, verse six. Then she, that's Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. I'm gonna ask you a couple questions and these are not trick questions. This is us doing Bible study together. When you, we study our Bibles, we, you know, we, we, we ask it, who, what, when, where, why? You just ask these questions, a Bible study. So I'm gonna ask you this and I do want you to respond and, they're, they're, and they're, I'm just gonna say based on the text, you know, the first principle of Bible study is observe. What does it say? You know, and we're just looking at it. And I'm gonna ask you this, why is Naomi going back to Bethlehem? Just look at the text. It's, it's the answer's there. Why is she going back to Bethlehem? Because there's food. There you go. And we're not gonna miss this, but it's important. Why is there food in Bethlehem? Because God provided. The Lord visited. And that word visited is not like he dropped in and he left. It's the Lord paid attention to. The Lord acted on behalf of. And so we got this. So, okay, she's going back because there's food there. And, and please note, we know that there's food there because the Lord has brought food, which by implication, I've got it in my little booklet. I drew a circle around food and I drew a circle all the way up to famine. If God brought the food, who brought the famine? See, you gotta, there's these 
clues through the, throughout the book. Okay, so here's a, a really important question. Now, this one you gotta think about for a minute. She was in the fields of Moab, which means there was food in Moab. Are you with me? Because she's working in the fields and she's getting food. So if there's food in Moab, why would Naomi go back to Bethlehem? You gotta think about that. But why would she go back to Bethlehem if there's food in Moab? Don't be afraid of your answer. Kinsman Redeemer, good. It's her birthplace. Because it's home. She knows that Moab's not home. She's a child, and we'll get to Kinsman Redeemer. She's a child of God, Yahweh God. Do you see that? So I don't want you to miss that she's going, she's going back home now that she hears there's food in Bethlehem. This is the last one. How did she know there was food in Bethlehem? It's in the text. She had heard. Now that's just a little phrase, she had heard. But you gotta, you gotta understand these are little clues that the writer's given us that, you know, this, she didn't get a text, she didn't get, it's not electronic, she didn't read, you know, the new, can you imagine how slow news traveled in those days? I'm just telling you, but she heard. And, and, and it's a little drop of God's providence that she's out in the fields working and she hears there's food. And as you're gonna find out in a moment, she hears about the food at just the right time. In a few weeks, we'll look at this, or yeah, three weeks. At just, I'll just say it that way. She hears at just the right time. Because then when she gets back there, it's just the right time to be there. Those are, those are the facts, okay? Now, let me tell you the truth. Now, what I'm gonna show you here, we're gonna be unpacking this for the next few weeks. So don't try and take all this in. But I just wanna tell you, I'm gonna tell you what's happening and we, the audience, are beginning to see this is happening. I'll say it this way for um, Naomi. The next slide. If, okay, there you go. God is at work in ways Naomi cannot see, doing what Naomi could never do at just the right time to bring her good according to his purposes and plans in ways she could never imagine. See, we just looked at what's happening, but I'm just gonna tell you, let me tell you what the truth's happening. <laughs> This is true. Does she see it? No, that's what we're gonna, we're gonna watch how God works that it unfolds and she begins to see more and more of this. If you say to me, Lloyd, how, how you know, Naomi's gonna see this over time and she's actually beginning, beginning to see it. And if you said, well, how, how, can I, how can I see this as in my own, how can I see this in my own life? And I, and I thought, I wanna give you two, two little applications here. How can I see this in my own life? I would go, well, you know, based on the text, I would go, you gotta do what Naomi was doing. And it's two things. Here's the first thing. Naomi was doing what she needed to do. And you go, okay, what does that mean? It means she needed food. She was working in the fields of Moab. Okay, Lloyd, what does that mean? You're not helping me. It means... People, people sometimes will ask me or, you know, they ask you, they say, what's God's will for my life? And, you know, the best answer I ever heard was, it's the next thing you need to do. And it's true. 
And there's something to this, you know, it's, it's so ordinary. You go, gosh, I'd love to see God's providence in my life better. We'll be about the next thing. What do you need to do next? I don't know, you gotta cut the grass today? Cut the grass today. You know, you do the next thing. It's, that, it's in the ordinariness, but you're faithful to what needs to be done. The second thing is this, and this, is, this has got a theological turn in it that's pretty significant. She knew where she belonged. So listen, she was in Moab um, and she knew that's not where she belonged. And when she caught wind of God's kindness, there's food in Bethlehem, the text says she returned to Bethlehem. Now, why am I making a big deal out of this word return? Because that word return, and we don't see it as well maybe in our English translation, but that word, it's, a, it's the Hebrew word shem bavet. And, you know, Rob and I don't throw out Greek or Hebrew words unless needed. I mean, you know, neither of us scholars in that per se, but it's shem bavet. And I, go, I say that because... That word shimbavet, it occurs six times in these eight verses. And I think it goes up to nine times when you finish Rob's section next. And so, so as, as readers, you know, this, this, the writer's showing us there is, there is this returning shimbavet. And then we're gonna read a minute, shimbavet. And she says to them, shimbavet. There's just constant returning that we would in our day, would equate it to this way, she, she, she hears of God's kindness and she repents, which is just a turning from and turning back to the Lord. And, and we've said this over time and the Bible's replete with this, you all. The Christian life is a life of repentance, not groveling and it's, it's a life of, I am missing God, I am turning back. I can't, you know, I don't speak for you. I don't live a day that there's not required repentance in my heart. Now, I might not think about it, but the Christian, do you ever go a sinless day? I don't think so, which means we're all called to just a life of repentance, of, of turning back home to God in every area of life. And it's in that, I wanna say this, it's in that turning back, let me tell you something, how this story's gonna unfold, it would never unfold had she not turned back. It's the power of repenting. Verse seven tells us that she stops on the road. It, it, I think it's, as interest, it's at least interesting to me that you know, we, we're, we're now, she's now taking them, you know, they're traveling and uh, she stops and a, and a debate ensues. And so I'm, I'm grabbing this section and calling it the road to Bethlehem. And, and I'm gonna do it in two parts, part one, part two. So now we're on, we've left the fields of Moab and the, you know they left it actually in seven, but we left the field of Moab and now we're gonna look at the road to Bethlehem. What happens? Look at verses eight and nine. This is the first part. It's the first part of the conversation. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, Return. Guess what Hebrew word that is? You can't, shim bavet, right? Each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Naomi's pronouncing a blessing on these girls. 
Naomi's praying for these girls. Um, I don't want you to miss, this is where I'm gonna try and make this point, and I'm gonna try and make it hard and strong, that she's using the covenant name of God, Yahweh's Hesed upon you. Yahweh give you rest. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is that it tells us that Naomi's faith is intact. And, and it, I'm, I'm kind of making an argument here that I'm gonna build upon, but I, I don't want us to miss this. Here is a woman, you all, who has lost her husband and her two sons. And she's still calling on her God. This really matters. And I think it gets reinforced later. But her faith, may I say, her faith is strong. She's not rejected. I'm through with you, God. Now, we're gonna be troubled by some things she says a little later. But I want you to know at the bedrock, she's still calling on her God. When, when she says, may he deal kindly, it's the, it's the Hebrew hesed. And Rob unpacked this last week. Hesed is perhaps the most important word in our Bible. It is so uh, fully orbed around God's love, covenant faithfulness, steadfastness. It is the character of God. It is the basis of the Hebrew people's relationship with God and ours. And to find it this way, steadfast love or affection rooted in a committed relationship. It's loyal love, faithfulness, unfailing kindness, devotion. When I think of hesed, I always think of steadfast love and covenant faithfulness. I'll never forget in seminary when we were, we actually studied this word, but we're studying this word and, and, and I was reminded, and the pressure always reminded us, hesed is always expressed. Hesed is his covenant love that acts, that does. This is the nature of God, you see. It's just a very, very important word. She's praying God's hesed upon them. And then she says, I pray you'll have rest. That word rest is the same word God uses for his own people. <clears throat> when he says, I'm bringing you out of bondage, I'm gonna put you in this land and you're gonna rest there. And it's not like you're gonna sleep really well. You're not gonna have anything to do. It's gonna be, no, it's you are going to experience what I intended you to experience. Provision, protection. I'm gonna go further. Wholeness, I'll go further. Shalom, peace as it's meant to be. That's what she's praying for them. And I want you to know, she knows that only Yahweh her faith in God. Only God can give hesed and this kind of rest. Naomi's faith has not been diminished by a decade of loss. I I, I really want, that's foundational to the rest of this book and how Rob and I understand what, what is happening Now, the second part of the conversation goes in 10 to 14. So look there again in your Bible, verse 10. She gives this big, you know, y'all need to go home. And really what she's saying is you stand a better chance of getting married at home. And that's where she's gonna go here. And they said to her, no, we will return, Shimbavet, with you to your people. But Naomi said, 
Shimbabet. See, that's the point. Of, that's why the Hebrew is like, return, return. That's the repentance part. No, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Same word. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, hypothetical, even if I have a husband this night and should bear sons, twins, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. They shed some tears. The girls doubled down. We're going with you. She goes into lawyer mode is what I'll call it as a compliment to lawyers. You know, she she makes an unbelievably airtight case. You girls don't understand. I can't have any more kids. I'm beyond childbearing. But just say I was pregnant tonight. And let's just say I had twins. And by the way, she's referring to when he talked about kinsman redeemer, he's referring here to leveret marriage, which is this, when a, when a man died, if the man had a brother, it was the responsibility of the brother to marry the widow so the name would continue. And that's what she's saying. If I had two boys in my womb and nine months later they came out, would you wait 15 years? You know what I'm saying? She's going, hello. <laughs> no, you need to go back. You're Moabite girls and you'll stand a better chance of marriage returning to your homes. I'm telling you, it's it's an absolutely logical, reasonable, airtight case. In Naomi's view, the best hope for a future is not with her. And then she pulls out the big gun. I call it the theological argument. I want to show it in the New Living Translation because it, it smooths out that little phrase, for your sake. That always makes me stumble. What does she mean? For your sake, it's bitter. But look at the New Living Translation. Things are far more bitter for me than for you. That's what she means by for your sake. So things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. You gotta, gotta, we gotta let this, the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Girls, you can argue with my logic and my reasoning. Do not trifle with my theology. Y'all remember Peanuts cartoons, you know, again, I, I, I date myself with these things, but Snoopy and Peanuts, whatever. You remember there was a character in there called Pigpen? Remember Pigpen? Some of, some of you, you know, somebody remember Pigpen? Remember what was always around Pigpen? What, when, you drew, when you drew him, what was always around him? Just dust and dirt, right? Because he's just dirty. And the, the point being, if you don't want to get dirty, don't get near Pigpen. Because he's just a dust bowl. And this is a picture of Naomi saying, you do not want to get close to me. No, 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 you, you don't want to stick with me because God's hand is against me, i.e., you 
will get hurt if you stick with me. God's hand, see, this is for the, for the Hebrew. God's hand, his arm is his mighty arm that crushes their enemies, that rescues them from the pit, that lifts them to the rock that's higher. This is God's good arm. And Naomi says, God's hand is against me. And my question to you, I don't want you to answer it now, but I want you to sit with it. Is Naomi telling the truth? Now, here's why I want you to think about it. I think, and we'll see, it's, it's, it's further developed, but I think what I said earlier is true. Her faith is intact. See, you gotta start, her faith, I believe her faith is, is, is real, rock solid in Yahweh. But then she says this, it's like, in two weeks, I'm gonna grab the last three verses of chapter one. And we did this on purpose so that we could do a little deeper dive on providence, just the difficulty of providence. But between now and then, I want you to wrestle with that yourself. Is Naomi a phenomenal theologian? Now, it makes sense to Orpah she kisses her mother-in-law and the picture there is, it's a blessing. And I, this is what I love about Naomi that I didn't see, I haven't seen until just going back through it this time. I mean, she is loving these girls in a phenomenal way. Do you understand this is a mother-in-law who's releasing a daughter-in-law to, to, to go get a husband as best she can. I mean, it's, it's a formal release. That's powerful for a woman to do that, to let her daughter-in-law just, look, you can go. And Orpah goes, and the author doesn't throw Orpah under the bus. So neither should we. She, it's just a fact. She went back. It doesn't criticize her. In fact, there are ways in which you'd look at Orpah and go, what an honorable daughter-in-law. She listened to her mother-in-law. You know, there's part of that. The author just leaves it there. But the author leaves it there because in Orpah, we have a foil to Ruth. So when the verse ends, but Ruth clung to her, it's like, whoa, compared to Orpah, she did that. See what I'm saying? So it's just to heighten the tension and to highlight Ruth's commitment, which by the way, is reflected in the language. Ruth clung to her. Again, Hebrew word, dobak. The first time you ever see the word dobak is in Genesis 2.24, when it says, and a man shall leave his father and mother and shall, King James Version, cleave to his wife. That's where Dobak shows up first. It's a picture of the commitment of a man and a woman in marriage. When I do weddings, sometimes I'll say, you know, leave, cleave, and I'll say, you know, to, to, to cleave, it's like a picture of, a, of an envelope that you seal. You have the flap and you have the body of the envelope. And, and when you, when you, lick that thing or whatever, and you make that seal and it dries, you can't break the seal. Like, like, the, like the seal is a new entity. 
And you go, well, no, no, I can tear it apart. Well, yeah, you can tear it apart, <laughs> but you can't separate it unto themselves again. Do you see what I'm saying? Ruth clung to Naomi. Same verb that God uses of marriage where two become one. Rob's gonna unpack that. Y'all, this is why we pause to say, you know what, normally, and no, most people teach through the whole section all the way through chapter one and finish, but we said, we gotta pause and look at verses, you know, 16, 17, 18, because what Ruth says, oh my gosh, it's, uh, it's amazing. Her commitment's not just to Naomi. That's what we'll see next week when Rob unpacks that. Okay, pause lesson principle lesson Here, let me let me get to the let me get to the lesson this way wherever you are in your field of moab and there's a sense to which all of us live in moab because we all sin we're all in we're all in foreign land you know but what i'll say that whatever your circumstance in life okay whatever it looks like let me tell you what's true if you're in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, that, that, that the fact is your life, I, there's no one in the room that could say it's perfect. It's not. There's some deep hardship. There's some mild hardship. It's, all, it's not all working, but wherever your life is right now, those are the facts. Let me tell you the truth, okay? Here's the truth about your life and mine. God is at work in ways you cannot see doing what you could never do at just the right time to bring you good according to his purposes and plans in ways you could never imagine. This is, this is what Ruth is teaching us. See, we're seeing the story of Ruth Kind of like this. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, we had a staff retreat. It was just amazing the team that puts that on and did that. We were away for like two nights, and so um, we, none of us knew this, but the team had actually brought in a a comedian and a magician. Comedian magician. They brought in an astrologist. They brought in a palm reader. No, I'm kidding on those. <laughs> just for anybody that's worried. No, but this guy was phenomenal. And he did this one thing where he took um, Carrie Murphy, who's, you know, children's ministry, you know, Emily's counterpart up at Brentwood. And, you know, Carrie's a comedian. Carrie's very talented and funny, and she's always, you know, ripping on people and whatnot. But so he's kind of getting her. But what he does, he puts her in a chair. Like, if, just imagine me sitting in a stool right here. And, and all of us are you. But he told us what he was gonna do to Carrie. And so we knew what this was gonna happen. We could see it. And he did this illusion trick, but he was putting the thing in his hand and making Carrie decide which hand it was in. But we saw what he did and you know how he was doing the trick, you know what I'm saying? So every time he'd do this thing, he'd say, which hand's it in? And Carrie would say, oh, it's in this one. And it wouldn't be there. And Carrie would be like, how'd you do that? And he did it again. And she goes, it's in that one. How'd, you know, we're just dying laughing because we know what's happening. The book of Ruth is us in the audience and Naomi 
and Boaz and Ruth sitting in the chair. And we're going, we see it. But they don't. And I'm saying this is true of you, whether you see it or not, because the Bible says so. Now, here's the lesson though, okay? I, I'm saying this is true, but here, here's, let me get to the lesson part of this, if I may. Because this is a picture of God's Hesed love, his steadfast covenant faithfulness to you. He could no more not be doing that in your life than be God. Does this make sense? I mean, it's that serious. It's, it's, that's who God is. But here's the lesson. God's Hesed is perceived not by reason, but by revelation. I'm gonna say it again. God's hesed is perceived not by reason, but by revelation. I wanna be careful here because I want you to know God has given us reason. So it's not like get rid of your reason. No, you got, we have a, a brain for a reason, to reason, to think. But fundamentally, we don't perceive the hesed love of God when our world is falling apart by reason, but by revelation, meaning the more familiar you and I are with this whole story, because see, this is what God has revealed. This is what he's revealed of himself, his character, his purposes, his plans, how he works, what the beginning is and what the end is and where you're gonna be. See, this, this never changes and it's what God has revealed of himself, but our circumstances in our lives, they just change all the time. And so to perceive God's hesed to you requires a, a deep commitment, quite frankly, to, to understanding what God's revealed, to know the story of scripture, to know the story of the Bible, to know that God has made promises that God keeps, that if he didn't keep the promise, he wouldn't be God. And there's story after story of him keeping his promise as a picture for you and I to go, he kept it then, he will keep it now because that's who he is. But you don't get that by going, let me look at my life. I don't think he came through there. He doesn't look like it. No, 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 we don't get it that way. Does this make sense? You only get it here. We get it in the word. That's why we do teaching the way we do when we go through the Bible. Here's the truth. I'm gonna boil it down to this sentence. God's goodness is clinging to you like Ruth is clinging to Naomi. That's what the Bible says. He's, his, his hesed is clinging to, in other words, it's inseparable because that's who he is. And that's who we are in Christ. God's goodness is clinging to you like Ruth is clinging to Naomi, but you only see it clearly through the lens of Scripture. And with that, let me give you an invitation to life. You need to do a little work on this, but trust the Holy Spirit who lives in us, that he's the teacher, not me, and I want you to name a work of God's providence in your life right now 
that hints at his kindness. Now, what I mean by that is, I don't know what's going on in your life. You do, and the Holy Spirit does. And I, I, I want you to say, Holy Spirit, show me God's, your, show me the, the Father's kindness. Because you may be in a terrible situation and you go, there's nothing good about where I'm at. There's nothing. You know, and I get that. We get to those places. I assure you, Naomi, surely if anyone could say that, couldn't it be Naomi? There's no good here. So I want you to ask the Spirit, show me the Lord's kindness. And, and as, as the Spirit shows you a, a little hint of his kindness even, then, then the invitation is one of two, you know, maybe both, but repent for maybe you're, maybe you're, Maybe you're missing God and you, and you gotta go, no, God is here in my world at work. And you may need to repent and turn back and go, God, I, I trust you're at work. It may be simply this, you recognize God's kindness, even in the difficulties of life. And listen, this is an act of the spirit and the work of the spirit in us is simply be this, give thanks. Give thanks for the hint, the measure of his kindness. Paul says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. The New Testament tells us life is a, for the Christian is a lifetime, it's a lifestyle of repenting. And it's not always like, you know, you run into a brick wall, I gotta stop and repent. It's oftentimes God's subtle kindness and we miss it. But if you'll pay attention to God's kindness, you turn and you turn back to God. And I'm being very serious when I say this. If you're having trouble seeing a, a tiny hint of God's kindness, then I'm gonna, offer, I'm gonna offer a little bit to you. If you're breathing, Right? If you're breathing, God's enabling that breath. If your heart is beating, I don't think you're making that happen. I'm being serious when I say this. See that God's kindness would lead us to repentance. Ask the Spirit to, to show you his kindness and respond by the power of the Spirit. And I'm gonna invite um, the band to come back out. Do that for a moment because then I'll take us to the table and we'll respond in a song. Would you go ahead and take the elements for the Lord's table if you have them? If you don't, then just slip up and slide out the back. If, you're, if you know Christ, we, we always want you to be at the table. Just grab them off the back tables in the foyer. Take the top off and take the bread, take the cup. Let's hold them in our hands. We come to this table weekly because wherever we are in the Bible, I will tell you this, it's pointing at Jesus. And wherever you are in life, it's always about bringing Jesus into that place. 
With the bread in one hand and the cup in the other, let's stand together. Lord Jesus, these represent your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. You commanded us to do this in remembrance of you. And it is a remembrance that, not, that doesn't simply look back and go, yes, you did that. It is a remembrance that says, you did it. It's real right now for me, your life, death, and resurrection. And I can't live without it. And therefore we receive the elements. For your body broken, Lord Jesus, we say thank you. Receive the bread. ourselves on you. You're our food, our life. For your blood that was shed, we give thanks. When we receive this cup, Lord Jesus, we recognize that we are proclaiming your death and resurrection. We're proclaiming that it's true for us. But we're also proclaiming that one day you're gonna come back and set all things right. And when you do, the rest that is secured for us in that day will be the rest we were made for fully and finally and forever. And it is ours now in you. Thank you for your bloodshed, your life poured out. Receive the cup. Having received that table, we, we continue in our worship to say, Lord Jesus, yes, our hope is in you, and this, this word points to you. We'll sing this song. Brian sang this song over you two weeks ago. Today he and Krista are saying, let's sing this song together. As the song some of the worship team wrote, Chad, Lindsay, Nate, um, and I want you to listen to the words as we sing them because they are pointing us not to the circumstances of life because we know they change, but they're pointing us to his word, his promises, that he keeps his promises. And that the fact that God keeps his promises is the truth that God keeps his promises and he can do no other.